So here we go, back on the Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast with one of my favourite guests to date, Shane Fisher. This is the part two where we're carrying on from where Shane's told his more or less his first part of his life story, going down memory road, Magaluf and all the rest of it, and to where he got to a point about 32 years old where he was, well, determined to take his own life. So we're carrying on from that point. That is where we finish. So how's it going, dude? I'm all right, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers for having me back on. Lockdown growth going on here, look. Do you know what I mean? I, th- I think everybody you speak to now, you have, a, you have a call and there's just beards coming out of everywhere, aren't they? And there's like, nobody's, uh, do people even iron the shirts anymore? I don't, I don't know. Mate, who up knows? But the thing that I love every time I watch you is how good that hair thickness and hairline's coming on. I need that in my life. People would be wondering what you're talking about there, but yeah, I had a hair transplant, so it's, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm six months in and, and I'm very happy with it, mate. You, you go for a lot of pain with that at the beginning when you don't know if it's going to come back and if it's going to work and all your mates taking the piss thinking, is he, is he going to be bald forever now? So yeah, no, it's good. It's, uh, that's one good thing. Cause I, can't, I go to the barbers every 10 days, so I like to have all this, I'm like, what is going on? But at mate, least it's let your hair come through. It's huh? It looks good. It looks good. Yeah, it's getting there now, mate. Thank you very much. So, right, dude, let's hit it up. Everyone knows what, what you're on, who you are and all the rest of it. But, I mean, we left off there where I think the last point when I checked was you were in the hospital bed and your family were coming to visit you. And you also talked about you recorded your suicide attempts and you were mm. kind of all around that point. So we kind of left yeah. it there. Yeah, to be honest, I, I, before we jumped on today, I just played about the last five minutes of it to refresh a bit. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've taken people through the, the, the suicide bit, which is obviously a big, a big thing in, in people's life, and which it affects a lot of people. And, and I think now it, it's a message that, you know, the, the understanding mental health is a huge thing because, you know, with this lockdown, these are all the negative effects now. There's a lot of people really suffering and, and the financial stresses. I mean, even in the couple of weeks since I speak to you, what people will be going through now is, is 10 times what they were, you know, two, three weeks ago, you know, it's, it's hitting people now, but it's, um, but yeah, I think I got to the point in the story, mate, where I'd, I'd, I'd literally just opened the, the hotel door. So it I'd gone from attempting the suicide and the realization that it wasn't working, you know, coming around and literally opening the door to, you know, my ex-missus at the time coming through the door and, and they just walked into a horrific scene, really, and obviously no idea what had gone on. And, and you know what? It was almost instantly the slap across the face at what you'd done, right? And that was the moment I looked up, I'd, I'd let them in and then they were coming, the hotel manager was in, and then you can imagine, you know, the 999 calls made. And, and I'm, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm looking up, I'm still in the hotel here, I'm in the doorway now, right? Because I, I must have blacked out again. And, and the ambulance men are there. Now, the weird thing is with this, my, my, my brother-in-law's a paramedic, right? And I've looked up and there's, there's just two normal guys, the paramedics, they're there to do the job. And I've woke up and all of a sudden, I'm the guy who tries to kill himself. I'm the guy who's wasting the time of the emergency services. I'm the guy who's crying out for attention. And that's how I felt. And it was horrible. And, and I was like, I, I, I felt like, I wanted to apologize to everybody instantly. I, I was like, no, this, uh, you, you have to understand that I know who I am. You know, I run nightclubs in Magaluf. You know, you don't understand. Ask my mates, you know, your head is just going like, 
like, what have I done here? I you know what I mean? Then they've got a lot of assessments to make. Like, is this guy been drinking? Which obviously you had, at the, you know, yeah. the night before, as this is drifting over into the next day, you know, is he on drugs? Is, yeah. you know, is he on medication? I mean, there's a lot of things they have to go through to assess what's going on. And you're very That's unwell, exactly. I'd imagine, at this point. You're kind of drifting in and out of consciousness by the sound of it as well. So. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, their biggest thing when they come through the door, mate, is to make sure they're trying to keep me alive, really, because I've lost so much blood. Um, and they'll have seen that straight away, you know what I mean? They're, 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 you know, they're looking at your wounds and everything, and, and then it's, it's literally trying to get blood back into you, and then they get you to the hospital. Um, so it's all a bit hazy from that bit. Um, you, you come. It's, I have little flashbacks now when I think to it, and it, it's. I, I can't remember leaving the hotel. I can't remember getting in the ambulance. I remember going into the hospital. I remember being on a bed, being pushed into the hospital, and and seeing faces looking at me. Now I'm conscious now of nurses, um, the the ladies at the front desk, and all I'm thinking is. I need to tell them this isn't who I am. Like, I'm not that guy. And I'm laid there with bandages on my wrists, you know, blatantly the guy who's just tried to commit suicide. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? You know, my, my girlfriend's there absolutely distraught. Um, and, and, and it just started to hit in properly. And then you've got to deal with the next bit, you know, and that's, the, that's the weird thing for me. You know, it's when I tried to do it, not one part of me ever thought I would be coming out the other side of it. And then having to deal with that, I thought I'd be gone. You know, it was none of the thought process was, hang on a minute, how are you going to recover for this? What are you going to tell people? That wasn't happening. Now I had to deal with that. And that, and that wasn't easy, mate. That, that was like, Did I mean, you need a blood transfusion or anything? Did you need yeah, a yeah, 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 because I'd, I'd lost so much blood, yeah. So, so it's, like I say, they just went, for, but I also needed um, operations on, on both my, my wrists because I'd cut through tendons and arteries. So they all needed repairing. Um, so it was pretty serious stuff. And obviously at this time, I... You know, my missus at the time, she's she's ringing my best mate. She's had to ring my mum. She had to ring my dad. And we hadn't been together that long. You know, she didn't even have the relationship with my family. And they're thinking, what has gone on? You know what I mean? This isn't shame. Like, and that's the, the, so she had to suffer all that a little bit, really, with, with people like, that. something's happened here. He, he wouldn't do that. Something's wrong. Mm. Um, and, and, but, but, you know, it wasn't. She just had to deal with all that. But I, I think, like I say, there's the... It's important for people to understand how shitty it gets next, you know what I mean? Because people will be thinking about it and thinking it is the answer, but it so isn't, mate. It's, I mean, I was in that hospital and you're just on a bed now. You're, you're waiting to go up onto a ward. This is before the operations and stuff. And I'm laid there on the bed. You're feeling weak and, and you've bandaged your wrists up. And, and I remember asking the nurse, you know, can I go to the toilet? And they're, they're all busy. Yeah. And, and I felt an atmosphere with the nurses, if I'm honest with you, when, when I first went in. Maybe, maybe paranoid, maybe was. But it was like, you know, I, I was the guy that shouldn't be there taking up the time. You know, but there was people that needed the life-saving and stuff, not this guy who was trying to cry for attention sort of thing. So I asked if I could go to the toilet, and, and she says, yeah, she just pointed to where it was. Now, when you've been laid on your back for that long and lost a lot of blood, you don't want to be jumping straight out of bed and trying to walk, right? And I didn't know any. You're going to get a blood rush, aren't you? Well, so I, I've made it to the toilet, mate, and I've got a gown on. And I've gone drip, to the toilet. You've got a drip for one, drip for the other. What's <laughs> I, going on? I, I couldn't even tell. I don't, I don't think I did. I don't, I don't think at that point I had a drip or whatever it was disconnected. So I've gone to the toilet. I remember going in. The, the desk is just there. So they've seen me go into the toilet. Next thing I know, mate, there's two nurses at the toilet door. I'm in a, in a, in a heap with, with 
dick I laid there on the floor in my own piss because I'd, I'd, I'd started peeing and blacked out. So, and, it, and it's just like, mate, that you, it's just an awful, awful situation. Like, you, 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 and I remember just waking up and, and pulling your pants up and you got pee on the floor. And, and you're in a toilet cubicle, man, and you've blacked out and you're just thinking, what? I, I was on a night out in Newcastle, you know what I mean? Like, like 12 hours ago, what, what has happened here? Weird, mate, really weird. Degrading in a way, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, what would people, if they were to describe you before the incident, how do you think people would have described you as a, as a person, as your character? <sighs> All different, I suppose. I mean, I mean it, it's... I, I think a way to put it in your head, there's, there's a mate of mine, um, Spencer, his name is, and he went, so he, he knew me from Magaluf, right? And after this, I didn't tell a lot of people. Like, I kept it very private until I, I was willing to deal with it. And it took me a lot of years. So, so I'm a literally close family and a select group of friends, right? And I ended up getting a job where he was working. It was, it, it was a mental health provider when I ended up staying in the UK, right? And we was having a night out with my, my boss-to-be and him, Right. And we was going for dinner and a couple of drinks and he was on his way around. And I said to my boss, cause he knew I'd gone to speak to him because he was in mental health. And I, I just reached out to the guy. Yeah? I just, I just had to speak to somebody and that's how I ended up getting a job offer. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to tell Spencer. Um, I said, so, cause we're going to sit there. So we might want to talk about things. I, I said, and he said, are you sure? I said, yeah. I said, so, well, let's tell him before we go out then, you know, he's going to come around. And I told him and, and, and Spencer, he, he just, he, he froze when I told him and he, and he just looked at me. And he was, he was in disbelief. And his reaction, he, he actually said, he said, if you'd have lined up 150 lads and said, which one out of that lineup tried to top themselves on New Year's Eve? He said, I would have been number 150, he would have picked out the line. Because I, I was like, like laughable, but you know, people used to call me Mr. Magaluf and stuff because you, know, you, you turn up, you don't know anybody, you end up managing the busiest club there. Because of the job you're in, everybody has to know Shane from Boomerang if you wanted a free drink or you wanted to come in. And it just wouldn't have been that, guy that tried to kill himself you know what I mean so yeah it, it was never like he's got issues or he's the quiet one or you know he's not there's never any history of self-harming or even talking about it you know I was just never that guy so it was a massive shock to people so moving on mate I mean you're laying there in a pool of your own fist and in, in a way mm. I can see you trying to be serious but also laughing at the same time because in a, in a weird way it's kind of like that to and throw between your mind, isn't it? Like you, you kind of look back and you think, fuck, you, like I look back on some mental stuff and I kind of laugh and people say, why are you laughing? It, like in, in a kind of nervous way, because you're kind of like, you can't believe that you were once there. Do you know what I mean? No. It's almost laughable that it ever even happened or you were in that space. But like when you moved on from that, I mean, I don't know how long we want to kind of dwell on it. You obviously had all the operations, reconstructive surgery on the wrists. I mean, you've mm. probably still got scars and all from this now. Something you've Yeah, bad ones. Through. I mean, I don't know if you see them on the camera, but yeah, they're very, very visible scars on, on both wrists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what? moving on from that, you obviously were still living in Magaluf, but obviously this had happened. Did you have to go and live with your mum and dad for a few months to recover or how did it affect work? I mean... What spiralled after leaving hospital? This was in the winter. So you, 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 this is New Year's Eve, right? So you're early January now dealing with all this. And, and you didn't have to be... I was still living in Mallorca, though, absolutely. Um, and would have been going back for the summer season, which would be starting probably in March, right? So I was lucky I had that period of time to be like, 
I, I, you know, it wasn't like I was due back at work the next week. I didn't have to bring anybody on that side of things. Nobody had to know over there, really. It was just a case of you gone back for the winter to see family. And, and that was that. But to be honest with you, when, when, so I was living, I was staying at my sister's back then. So, so, um, you know, me, me and my ex-missus was both staying at my sister's. They had to sort of try and hide from the kids what I'd done. But obviously they knew I'd done, so I had an accident. And, and we come up with a story at the time that I, we'd had an argument. I put my hands through, through a window. And, and it was mad how many people still believe that story until I actually came public and, and put my post on Facebook, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I, I was staying at my sister's. And, and the more I was thinking about it, right, I'm looking at my wrist. And like I said, the scars are bad now. But you can imagine how bad they was then, right? And I'm looking at my arms thinking, I, I work in the sun. I work, you know, I can't cover these up. It, it, you can't be stood in, in out front of a bar in Magaluf with a jumper on, you know what I mean? Or a long sleeve shirt even in July and August. It's not going to happen. And I wasn't ready to deal with the questions like, what's that on your arm or what have you done? I just didn't know how to deal with that. So I made a decision pretty quickly that I, I needed to start looking at something else. And like I said to you, I'd, I'd reached out to a, to a mate of mine called um, Jonathan Gray because he worked in mental health and I sent him just a big email, not nothing to do with a job. I had no idea I was even thinking about, about trying to get a job at that time. But just to say, listen, mate, I know you're in the industry. He didn't even know me that well, if I'm honest with you at that time. We'd, we'd met in New York and we'd been out a couple of times, but I just knew he, he to me, was, was a lad around my age who worked in that industry. And I was like, here's what I've done. No idea why. What happens now? What, what, what? And, and, and it was great, you know what I mean? He invited me down to Liverpool. Um, he took me into his office and we just had a chat, you know, I mean, it was a bit of a free counselling session in a way. And on the back of that, he'd, he'd liked sort of my email, he liked how I was chatting. Obviously, he knew I'd run things and stuff before and he actually gave me a job offer. He says, well, realistically, is it, is it the island that's drove you to it? You know, I mean, there must be reasons. He said, do you really want to try a fresh start? He said, because if you want to try, try a fresh start, I'll give you a job. So he, he gave me a job in Liverpool. He, he was um, a private healthcare company. He was a mental health provider, you know what I mean, which seems strange, but it helped me really start to understand all that because part of my role, I had to study that. So it was like getting paid to study what I'd gone through. On, I mean, of course, there's, there's all the different ailments and everything else you've got to study. But that's what I ended up doing, mate. Yeah, so, so we came back to Mallorca, gathered our things up, but I've got bandaged up wrists and nobody knows why. And because I'd been there 13 years, you know a hell of a lot of people. So really, it was quite a big deal that I was leaving. And, and I'd put a post on Facebook and it, and it went mad. Like the, the comments on there was ridiculous that it was time for me to leave. Obviously not saying anything what I'd done. Just the island, you know, it's come to an end for me. I'm going to try and grow up now, like laughing almost. But right, we're going to give it a go in the UK. So of course, the friends here are like, right, well, you're going to need a leaving party. And I'm like, oh. God, like, like, just let me go. You know what, what I mean? Going I'm like, on in the mindset then. I mean, because horrible. when I've been in certain places, the last thing I want to touch is alcohol, and and the reason yeah. I don't want to touch alcohol is because of the places it can put you in. And I'm never really a one point man. If I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink, drink. Do you know what I mean? I don't just stop at yeah. things. I just keep drinking. Was yeah. it something that whole type of environment you were trying to avoid? Was you trying to avoid drinking too much alcohol? Was you trying to keep your head clear? What was going on? You know what? Because it was the winter, it, there's there's nothing open, right? There's there's a couple of places open, so it wasn't really an issue for me. It wasn't you know the bars weren't open. It wasn't people ringing you up to go out every night. The, the odd night out here and there, but you can avoid it. I didn't want to see anybody, like like nobody. I I just didn't want to be because it's weird. It, it's almost when you, once you've done something like that, you walk in a room. And, and the only way I can describe it is like, you know, like, 
I'm sure you've all, all met a woman in your time or a lad who's got a birthmark on the shoulder or something, right? And it's probably like the size of a penny, yeah? And they think everybody in the room is focused on that, right? And they're not, you know? And, and, and it, but I walked into a room and I just thought everybody knows I've got scars on my wrists. Everybody. Everybody everybody wants to know what I've done. I mean, it's not like that, but that's where your head was. Right? Your head's like, I need to get out of here, getting anxiety. So I just avoided things, mate. And But obviously this party... It was my leaving do, and I couldn't avoid it. And and I've walked in, which realistically, after 13 years managing bars and clubs, you know a lot of people, that should have been a big event, right? It was in a bar called Manor's. It was one of the only few places open. I went there, and there was a lot of old friends that all gathered. And I walked down the steps, and they're all sort of clapping and cheering as I walked in. And I'm just like, I've got, you can't move your arms. I've got a plaster cast on after the operation, and two arms like that. A big leather jacket pulled over the arms. And I was just, oh, mate, it was horrible. But, you know, trying to be nice to everyone. Oh, I can't believe you're leaving and why? And trying to bullshit people that I didn't like the island anymore. Um, coming up with all these excuses why I wanted to leave. Uh, yeah, it was strange times, mate. Strange did, times. Did you, so what, when people were asking, you were just literally telling them at this point, yeah, look, I've got pissed up and I've fallen through a glass window. Was, it, was you trying to keep it simple like that? Was it that simple? Yeah, that was it. We had an argument. I, 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 um, out of anger, I shoved a glass door. It was a. T- I even said it. Was, I think I said it was a taxi taxi rank um, door. The glass window, and I went straight through it, and and I, and I slashed all all of my arms. Which is you know believable, I mean? isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Because we have all. I thought it wasn't around for a window and all. So I thought it wasn't. But even, you know, there's um, one of my best mates, Kim, who was on the night out with me. When I put the post on Facebook, she rang me and she was like, to this day, this, this was seven years on before I let anybody else know. She said, to this day, I thought you put your hand through that taxi rank window. She had no idea. And she was out with us on the night. That is crazy. And what I love about the story at the minute is I never knew that you've even left. Magaluf I just kind of thought from phase one you were just because you're there now aren't you you're in Magaluf now so you're in Magaluf now still mm. and I just guess that you just hadn't left so to me this part is quite interesting because now you've had yeah. like this stopgap what was this about 33 32 something like that Shane 32 and then you've come back and what did you have you moved back with this girlfriend and you've got an apartment and stuff and start working in the city of Liverpool basically yeah Yes, yeah, so, so like I said, you know, the mate of mine had given me the job. I kind of walked into a better opportunity, really, which to, which, to be fair, made the story believable of why I was leaving Mallorca because it was like, look, I've done this since I was 19. I don't want to manage bars and clubs forever. And I've been offered a job with very decent salary. There's a company car. There's a flat in the commercial district in Liverpool. And there's a phone. And off you go. You know what I mean? It, it was a brilliant opportunity. Um, so that was my story. And that's where we went. So we went to live in Liverpool. Now, I mean, this is all the, all the next bits of the story and stuff. But by that, obviously, the few months have gone now. You know, I, I've, I'm living with my sister, dealing with everything I've done. Um, I've told the few pals that, I, that I'd that done it. And, and again, it was mad. I've told you what Spencer said. But, I mean, there's a mate of mine, Steve, one of the older lads who used to run the football. And I said, listen, Steve, can we meet up? I've got something I need to tell you. So I've gone and met him in the pub, as, as you do, and it's just me and him, and, and all I've told him is, look, I need to chat. And he, I didn't do that very often, you know what I mean? We'd go for a drink, but if I say, look, I need to tell you something, he's like, yeah, what is it? And so he, he's turned yeah. up there. And I, I've started speaking to him, and I said, listen, Steve, um, I, I said to you, I've got something to tell you. And he's like, yeah, 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 you tell me anything, mate. What, what, what's wrong and all that? And I started to tell him, and, and he looked at me, and I started telling the story, you know, about what happened on New Year, and, and he put his hand on my knee, and he went... Can I just tell you something? I says, yeah. He went, 
I thought he was going to tell me you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> like it, just, it was just nothing in his head. So that was Steve. And, and then there's two brothers of mine, um, Ricky and Paul. So I've said to them, lads, I need to tell you something. Can we meet up? And, and we, randomly, mate, we just met in a car park. So I didn't want to go in a pub. Now I was like, like get me up. we just met in a car park. He pulled up in his van. I got in his van and all three of us sat in the van. And I told them. And they just looked at each other and they went, we thought you'd won the lottery. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was just, I was just, it was the last thing anybody was ever going to think. And, 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 and that was it, mate. It was, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it, when you think about it. So, dude, how long did this last? You know, like, I'm more intrigued myself now. So you're in Liverpool. I mean, how long did this go on for? And what was the experience? I stayed in the UK then. I worked in Liverpool for about a year, I think it was. And then I got offered a job in Hull. But that, that window of my life, I, I basically, I ended up in the UK for three years. So I lasted three years, but you've got, you've got to imagine like you've gone from, I mean, at 32 managing, you know, one of the busiest bars in Magaluf, you know, everybody, right. You, and, and it's, it's, we get sucked into a very dream life and I'm not, I'm not being arrogant with this. Listen, I worked at McDonald's before I went there, right. That, that was who I was in Hull. And all of a sudden in Mallorca, I know everybody and, and you get used to like, you, you didn't pay for a drink anywhere you went. You, you got um you never you didn't know what queuing to get in anywhere it was if you did want to go out with a drink every single bar you went in you knew somebody if you went in a restaurant you knew the owners you knew the managers because I was the guy who looked after you if you came to me so you've gone from that guy to now going into Liverpool right now I was good at managing bars and clubs and now I do online marketing right at the time when I stepped into that office in Liverpool I'm not kidding you I did not know how to use a photocopier right nothing nothing and, and my the, mate, money. John, the money as well i'm just sitting there thinking the money must have been a shot because you earned so much money you spent all winter traveling normally then you've gone back into this how can i describe it british way of life where the weather real world is, the real world we call it, isn't it the weather is shit the money is like half if quarter of what you're used to and it's yeah. proper like 12 months of the year. It's not like six months of the year. Do you know what I mean? And, and listen, mate, it was, it was an, but everything was alien to me. I, I, was, I was putting a shirt on. I was putting a tie on every day to go to work, right? I'm in an office. I've gone from managing 38 staff who all look up to you, shop girls, security, DJs, dealing with events and everything, to being the guy who has to stand at the secretary's desk and say, sorry, can you just show me how to use a photocopier again? <laughs> I was the I was the I was the, I was the office like the complete office junior at thirty two, oh and they must be thinking what because they didn't know my story, so they're thinking why is this guy giving him a job? Like, all right, he's a nice guy and he's got contacts, but he's got no clue about this industry. He doesn't know how to use a computer. It's <laughs> like and oh mate, so I mean there was I think in my first week of training they, they put me in with this guy, um, and 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 I had to sit in front of him and take notes, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through a period in your life where you haven't wrote anything down for a while, handwrite, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I can't read or write very well anyway, so <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible since, since you leave school, college, or if you're not doing it's any weird. It's weird because you, you, you're not handwriting anything if you're not in that line of work, like nothing, yeah? So this guy, we are sat on a desk, one foot away, like I'm leant over there, he's leant over there, and he's speaking to me, and I've got a pen in my hand to take some notes, right? Now, don't forget, I've also done my wrist in. Now, now, so I'm, at this time now, the, the casts are off and everything, there's big bandages underneath, and, and I started wearing things to try and cover it up and stuff, but nobody knows. But I'm trying to hold a pen and write, and in my head I'm thinking, well, 
I can write, sure, I can write. I'm not even thinking about it yet. And I put the pen to the paper to try and write a note of what he just said. And imagine giving a pen to a six-year-old, telling them to put the pen in the left hand and then write the name. My first letter went down six lines of the page, right? And he must have looked at me and thought, is this guy for real? He can't even write. Like, so I can't use a photocopy. I don't know what a computer is. I know he can't write. And I looked at the pen and I was like, oh my God. And at night, I had to sit there in the hotel room where we was for the training before we actually got the apartment. And I was writing, practice writing again. I was like, oh, mate. So you can imagine how I felt. I mean, the reason I'm saying that is you've got to understand from the pedestal you thought you was on as Mr. Magaloff or whatever to just wallop. This is where you are now. And I'm like, oh my God. But everybody seems to have that. Anyone who's got an amazing story or, you know, have become like have moved on to become something better in their life, they've always gone through this period. And it was like for you, it was that failed attempt. It's the moving back. And it's like being reborn, yeah. isn't it? Do you know what I mean? For you, it's Absolutely. like being totally reborn. Being the office Absolutely. bitch. I mean, you probably have people who flew over and you gave them jobs where they didn't know currency language like all the things that you went through but you're doing it in reverse but in liverpool within your own country do you know what i mean and and, and and learning things that i never thought i'd give a, a crap about really you know what i mean i was like oh my god like, I, I don't want to know how to use that coffee machine or how to weigh that i just i just didn't it was just nothing excited me in it you know it was just like this is what this is now the life i found myself in and so then you've got to deal with all that you're dealing with the depression and everything, what you now understand fully, and, you, and you're realizing that this is this is what it's all from. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just not a nice experience at all. At was all. being at home was it a bit of a comfort blanket because of what happened to you? Was it nice to know that mum and dad and friends were close? Was that a security blanket for coming back? Because some people do do that, or because uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, yeah, you need you needed that. You know, I mean, I was I was lucky because at my sister's we had our own bedroom and stuff and. She's got, um, I think she had two young girls at the time and then the, then the third one was born. Um, so I've got three nieces there. So at the time there was two nieces, but as, as we all know, the, the, there is no, and, and I say this to anybody now, like if you're suffering the depression and feeling low and that, get yourself around two things, kids and animals, because there is no better distraction because there's just no judgment. They don't pick up on your bad moods. They're happy to see you all the time. And, and you can't sit there moping about and feeling sorry yourself when there's, there's a three-year-old niece wanting to play around and mess around. So that was brilliant for me, really. Um, but I noticed that when they went to bed, we would be sat on the sofa and I got completely addicted to it. And I don't play games on my phone. I, I've never, I've just never, ever done it. But I, I just, for some reason, I saw an advert on Facebook or something and it was one of these games. And it was a game called Civilization that I had actually played a bit when I was 17, yeah? So I've downloaded this app, put it on my phone, and I'm not kidding, right? I think once the girls had gone to bed, like my sister would tell you, and I was missing at the time, I would look at my phone and I was in a different world, and I was happy in there because I didn't have to speak to anybody. And it's weird when I look back at that now, you know, and, and obviously this is the period between it happening and, and starting my new life in Liverpool that I wasn't working. I was just trying to recover and get my head around it. And I just used to play this game for hours and hours and hours. But it was like in there, I was all right. I didn't have to speak to anybody, and I was, oh, I'm achieving things and I'm building things, and it was just an escape. 
Mate, I can imagine it now because like when Facebook and all came out, first of all, they had things like Farmville and like Bejeweled and all these other games were attached to it, you know, and people become addicted to them, put up how they got like 10,000 blocks blow up or built like a miniature <laughs> farm or whatever the hell it was. You know what I mean? Exactly. But that, and that was me, mate. That was like, right, I've got this now. I'm allowed to lock into my phone and I don't have to speak to anybody. This is my excuse. I can just sit here in my own little depressed world, which I was in terribly. I was, you know, I was in a bad state. You know? But, but yeah. as we was, a little bit cut off there. Okay. So I, I kind of get how you felt because like, people don't realise, I think, psychologically how unwell, I like to describe it, you can get. So they know you're not well, they know you're not 100%, which people always say, but it, when you get locked inside your own mind, it's a very hard place and weird things will happen. And I think I was just touching on the fact that when I was unwell, I take short walks with the dog from where I live to my mum's house, because like we were talking about before, it was like a comfort, you know, to see my mum quickly for 10 minutes and you know it makes you feel better and then I'd go back home vice versa but I would do yeah. odd things like I would nod off to sleep randomly and wake back up five two minutes later my mum would say are you all right my love is everything okay and I'd be like yeah, yeah I'm cool but yeah. I knew things weren't right because weird things like that would keep happening a bit like you're touching on how you played on the game all the time yeah I would do things like that and other things similar where I would just get lost, you know, like on my phone, concentrating on certain things that would concentrate all my energy onto them. So there was nothing else inside my head, you know, I didn't have to accept reality. That's the way no, I look no. back on it, you know? So Strange times, mate. It's, um, like, like, I, th I think a different thing from, from my side was as such a massive guilt because you, you knew what you almost put everybody through. You know, your sister, your mum, your dad, your brother, and you're just like, so you're dealing with all that, and you can't, you want to hide from that a little bit, you know? You didn't want to face up to that, but I remember not too long after, we, I think from there we ended up going to live, was we living at my granddad's at the time, was we still at my sister's? I can't remember if we were still at my sister's, but before I went to Liverpool, we, I had an argument with my missus, as you do, as we all do, and, and it was like, you know when you're staying with other people and you can't really, so I was like, right, I just need to get out. So I've gone outside, jumped in the car, and just went for a drive, you know what I mean? I just went to drive, cleared the car, and in my head, I'd have done that a million times over the years, um, I'm going for a drive and I'm going to come back. And, and, and I've, I've left my phone, right? So what's happened is, I've only been gone 10 minutes, but you can imagine what they're all thinking. Is he gone and done it? Is he gone and done that again? And, I, and I'm not, without even a thought in my head, I'm not off to kill myself. But then, so I came back to missed calls and panic and drama and, you know, Mrs. Grandma and my sister and all that. You can't just do that. And I'm like, you know, I went, but I realised that this was my fault now. You know, I, I was that guy now. So anyway, they're, they're all like, um, you need to, look, we're really worried about you. How can we reassure? They've been pushing me to go get help, right? And I, and I was like, I just didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? I wanted to sort of self-help and research myself. And, but anyway, I sort of gave in. And, and I'd gone to the doctors. And so, you know, you know what? This, when I first went to the doctors, actually, this, then they've been telling me I needed help. This must be before I went for the drive. Because I remember what the first time I went to the doctors was, They'd been saying, you need to speak, please speak to somebody. And I basically didn't want to, but how I did long, it for them. How long Sorry. after what happened was this? Just so people have a time scale, mate. This Good must day. be with probably two weeks after, right? Oh, this was like, early. this was two weeks after. Still, let me see. I, I was, this is the first doctor's visit, right? And which I didn't want to do. I didn't, I didn't want to do it at all. I didn't, I didn't want to, again, be that guy. Yeah. But anyway, it was, 
for the family, they, they, you know, I put them through enough already. I was like, right, just, just at least go say you're going to go speak to somebody or go get some help. And, and I did want to understand it a little bit. So I've gone to my local GP and I've made, made an appointment. And I, and I just remember it, it was a massive deal to me that, right? And I was sat in the, in the waiting room and, I, I, you know, with my, my arms bandaged up. And again, you're in that position where you are convinced everybody in that waiting room knows he tried to kill himself. Nobody's got a clue. I could have been there for a, a cracked toe or a cold or anything, but you think everybody in the waiting room knows, right? You think the receptionist knows, and, it, and it's you, all these things going through your mind. You're just like, get me in that doctor's room, get me out of here. And it was horrible, but it was a massive thing. And to my family, like this was going to be the next step. This was going to help help Shane out. This was it, you know, get some help and find out what really happened and pop a pill or whatever you do and, and get on with your life. So I walked, I walked into the doctor, and, and this is the bit where, now at 32, so I'm going back nine years, right? So nine years ago, I walked into the GP, and I've sat there, um, and I never forget it, and, and he went, he's looking at his computer, and he says, so, so how can I help? And I says, oh, well, um, obviously, I think you've probably seen all my files, but I went for a bit of an episode on New Year's Eve, um, and I don't really know how to think about it. And he, and he looked at the computer and he glanced at me and, and, he, and he looked at my wrist and he says, um, so it was a suicide attempt. And I, I says, yeah. And, and I was ready. I, I was about to like start speaking. You know, I don't, I don't know why. And I didn't know what he was going to ask. And I was like, yeah. And he went, okay. And he got his pen. He pulled out a sticky note, a yellow sticky note. So no flying or anything. There was a phone number on there, no name. And he said, um, call that number. They'll help you out. And, and, I, and I held this sticky note in my hand with a phone number on it. And I was like, what, what, what's that? Anyway, it's a helpline. Give them a ring. They'll be able to help you out. And that was it. So this is my local GP. I've gone to him for the first person outside, close family and friends that I've even willing to tell it happened. And he just pushed me out that door, mate. I, I was fuming. And I, and I left there and I was like, I scrambled up the bit of paper. I didn't even give a shit who it was. And I threw it on the floor and I went back and I was like, I'm never going back to that doctor's again. And it was horrible, if I'm honest with you. It was really, and it was such a lack of any, no empathy on his side. He, he was just like, this guy's an attention seeker. Um, get out of my office. Horrible, horrible experience. But mate, there's so many people out there still doing that. You know, they are still doing it, you know? 100%. Yeah, and, and he just didn't, and I'd love to go back there and just say, listen, you prick. Like, do you understand <laughs> how, how big a deal that was for me to actually get out the house in, in that time, I hadn't left the house. So to leave the house in that period of time, sit in this waiting room, have my family all waiting to see what happens next, and you give me that number on a sticky note. Oh, I was fuming, man. I, I was just like, nah, that ain't it. And after that, I just started to self-educate, and, and that was it. I just I, I, I lost myself on the internet and, and read everything I could about depression, anxiety. I found all groups online. I, and I didn't speak to any, I didn't, I didn't speak to any counsellor, I didn't do anything else, but I started to educate myself on what, how to counter depression, exercise, water, fresh air, you know, and, all, and, I, and I started, it, it doesn't change overnight, but I'm very, very, very knowledgeable on that now. And I think that's it's a big way of sort of how you turn your life around. I still have to do these things daily, don't get me wrong, because um, I don't believe it ever goes away, but you just learn to, you know, you recognize the symptoms, you recognize it in yourself. But my, my daily routines, are so, you, you, I'm not a monk, you know what I mean? But I meditate in the morning, I love my workouts, I drink four litres of water every day and I get my fresh air and, and I just it's, that's me that's I now I need to do that exactly and I think a lot of stuff that I come times whether it's preaching or talk about is 
the best way to get better is routine. It, it is routine because you find that, and also recognizing, keeping yourself in check because yeah. at some point you're always want to veer back off on these roads. And, yeah. you know, you've got to say to yourself, whoa, I haven't done my 10 minute walk this morning, you know, or I haven't done whatever your simple stuff is. I've got to get back on that. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be addictive. It's actually keeping you well. It isn't like people are saying, oh, um, imagine you might get this. Oh, that man, he's got OCD. He's got bad habits. He does this, this and this because he's always. No, you're not. You're keeping yourself in check. You're keeping yourself like online. You're keeping yourself dialed in, you know, and you're keeping yourself better, not just for you, but for the close people around you because no, exactly. you know, they don't want to see you either go back to those places. Do you know what I mean? And no, when, no, that's it. When you're getting well, I always find you'll get people come along and say, oh, why do you always eat so well? Why do you always drink water? Do you never feel like a can of Coke or a few beers in an evening? You think, mate, listen to me. Like, I do this for me. Yes, maybe I do. But when I start doing those things, other toxic thoughts, habits and everything all come in with, you know, bad, bad, like eating badly bad physical activity whatever it is they all creep along and they're associated to it you know no so exactly it's very hard to stay true to yourself because there will be people they, they don't mean it but they kind of guide you off where you want to go does that make sense of course they do and, and it, it's a lot down to sort of human psychology you know pe people they, they look at those around them and, and they want to know why you're doing something that they're not and and a lot of their it's a lot of defense on their part a lot of the time you know a lot of times we'll naturally chat why are you running that far? You know what I mean? What do you need to do that for? A lot of times it's because I, I don't want to run that far. You know what I mean? Is it, should I be doing that? And, and people just naturally challenge it. But listen, it took me a long time to get there, but I'm at a point now, mate, where I, I can go to a party. I, I can go out. And listen, I, it's not that I don't drink alcohol, but if I'm not feeling myself or 100% or I've had a bit of a down day, I'm more than happy to go out somewhere and just say, I'm not drinking tonight. And and people just know not to. I'm not a guy where, the, you know, they'll shove shots under your nose. If I want to say no, I just say no. And I don't care. You know what I mean? It, it used to be like, oh, I can't say no to that. Everyone's going to think I'm boring. I don't care. think I'm boring, but I'll still be here tomorrow. <laughs> so, Mate, I know. love that because I was like that, you know, and nowadays I had a period where I didn't drink for four years. And I do drink very occasionally now. I don't think I've even drunk this year. No, I don't think I've drunk since Christmas. And I might not drink this year. I don't know. But I love that because you've got to be true to yourself and you've got to be strong. And people will give up. If you know something's right for you, stick by it in a healthy yeah. way, let's say, because people will give up. You know, and it's not their fault. I used to have people say, what's up with you, Anne? Have a drink. You're so much better when you have a drink. You have a laugh. You're <laughs> like, you get on the table. You do this, you do that. You go mad. But what they don't realise is I'm quite happy being relaxed. And I mm. actually, I can engage better with other people that are drunk or however they're carrying on quite well sober. I actually don't mind it. And I can have yeah. more conversations with different people. And sometimes I think, oh, that's quite a cool night, even though I didn't drink. So yeah. I'm just throwing that out there so people know that they haven't got to live to peer pressure. If something inside you is saying, don't do it, just don't do it. Because <laughs> you never know the outcome. And that, I think that's kind of like where you're saying that there, you know? You've got that's it. Listen, I'm at, listen, I'm 41 years old now. And, and there isn't a night out I haven't done. You know what I mean? It's not, I'm not there. Like, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by not going. Um, yeah, I'm at the next step in my life now, you know, I want to build the career now and, and everything else. It, it's, 
it's just not top of my list like it was when I was in my 20s. So it's, it's not that difficult for me to say no to. But I, I think whenever I have a dip and, and I feel depression, you know, when I, when I feel that down there, I'm, I'm just, I just, just I, I look back and I'm like, right, what, so what was that? Did, did I not get enough sleep? Did I have breakfast? You know, did I go for a walk? Was I arguing with the missus? Was I drinking the night before? And I, I literally try and sort of assess it all. And, I, and it, more often than not, you're ticking one of them boxes saying, yeah, you know, it was a bad night's sleep or there was, there was alcohol involved the night before or you missed your workout for three days. You know, that's, that's why I do it. That's why I'm so strict on my routine. Listen, let's mix it up a bit. So you spent three years in the UK. There's obviously a lot of up and downs. You obviously were very depressed over that period because you were used to such a beach living, free caring lifestyle in the sun and being like, you know, good at what you did, like number one in your own profession. How did you then make the decision? How did you get to that three year period where you came back and do the things that you're doing again now? When I went to Hull, I got, I got um, a job with, again, another old mate of mine from Mallorca, a guy called Alex Hall. Um, he offered me a sales job in Hull and it was one of them jobs where you ended up doing absolutely everything. You, I, I was surveying for solar. I was selling double glazing. I was, I was doing anything. But he, he's a good guy. But he's he's like you know he was sort of um, whole entrepreneur of the year at the time. You know, probably one of the one of these guys, Fox. And he was obsessed with personal development, right? Obsessed with it. And he he would try and force it on you. And I wasn't ready for any of that. You know, I remember him giving me a. a playing Jim Rohn in the car one day and I was like what is this he's listening to you know them YouTube sort of motivational things and I was just like oh my god what is this like but this was him and, and the mad thing is now mate I, I listen to that stuff all the time <laughs> I love it right but he, he sort of got me into that and anyway the reason I'm sort of telling you this is we he used to have these meetings where it would be about mindset and he'd make you do goals and, and he got you know vision boards and all this stuff right and we laugh about it now, but whenever I put a vision board together, you know, the lads had all put their vision boards together and they'd stick it up on the wall next to the desk and you had to print things out and stick it on there. And obviously it'd be like their family and their dream house in Hull and the car they wanted. Mine would, would have like, it, there'd be an aeroplane on it and there'd be a villa in the sunshine. He <laughs> was like, you're in the wrong country. Like, he was like, what, is your head still that far? And yeah, it obviously was. And I hadn't put it out my, out, out my, um, out of my mind so yes I was living in the UK and I was trying it mate but I think it was just always there we then gone back to Mallorca for holiday absolutely loved it didn't want to come back then we went again and I think I just sat and me and like you say ex-missus at the time we, we just had that chat and just says what am I doing what am I doing in this country I'm just wasting my life you know what I mean I, I just I can't I cannot and, and listen no offense to anybody who does it because like I said my life isn't for any isn't for everybody but if I know I say this all the time, it sounds a bit weird, but I, I would stand in the queue at Asda and I would listen to the monotony of the chats about the weather and the whinging and the griping. And I would look around me, mate, and think, I just don't belong here. I, I, this just isn't for me. And I, can't, I, can't, I hated that small talk shit about rubbish, you know what I mean? And everything was negative. And I was just like, oh my God. And that was it. I just decided to go back, mate, and went back to New York and then. Um, and here I am. So listen, the, the picture that goes with the part one, right, is the Shane yeah. Fisher on Australian Love Island. Am I right or wrong here? Uh, no, to be honest, the, the Australian Love the, the, the picture of the Australian Love Island is obviously, that's you pushing me for a picture with all the bloody influences, by the way, so I blame you for that. But that's more connected to the Magaloff. When obviously I did the bars and clubs and stuff, 
you get you get well connected and you look after a lot of acts and DJs and things, right? So your number gets passed around. When I came back here, I after being back about a year, I got a phone call from there's a company called Palmer Pictures. Um no, actually it was it was a mate of mine, he was he was a DJ and he said Palmer Pictures are looking for somebody um to do some sort of job connected to Love Island. And I thought it was a UK one. Right. And he says, Are you interested? And I said, Well, what is it? And, and he, he said, Listen, go along. He said, It's, it's good money. And, and all it was, I went to this meeting. There was about 12 people in the room. Um, and it was the Australian Love Island. And Australian Love Island was filming in Mallorca. And that was to look after the acts, uh, the acts, the, the, the sort of uh, the guests of the show, right? The sort of stars of the show before they go in. So we was their chaperones. So the picture of what you're talking about is me look, getting paid to look after bloody uh, all the girls who have been picked to go into Love Island and, and not a bad looking bunch. So, but like I said, that it's just all connected to that sort of influencer world. It's, you, you kept trying to call me an influencer. I'm not one. But I know a few, and and yeah, it, it was more like my. So that was when I came back. To be fair, I, I got involved in that, and I got I contracted by one of the clubs again. I, I didn't want to go back to managing the clubs, but one of my old bosses he, he messaged me and says, "Well, listen, I'm struggling to get somebody to look after the acts and the DJs. Do you want to just do that job for me? You know, there's a car for the summer, nice easy job, two nights a week. Take them for dinners, pick them up at the hotel, take them to the club, and drop them off. So I did that. I did, I did that for a year. And then, uh, Mate, I love it. I just love it. The silent influencer. Your dream job. <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean? That's such a contrast, isn't it? Like, like I think there's probably a message you'd love to throw out there to people, and so would I, is that if you've got a dream and you want to go and do stuff, please don't get stuck in that monotony because it can be so detrimental for mental health. If you've got something that you think you should be doing, go and give it a go. And you're a prime example of that because you done three years, and let's be honest, it was three years of hard physical, mental labour for you. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was rubbish. I just didn't enjoy it. it didn't belong there. And, and not, that's not saying that everybody should hop on a plane and go and live in Mallorca or what have you, or wherever else in the world. It's just the fact that go out there and experience things because you're living example of what you can have and what you can experience. Yes, you don't like to be called an influencer or whatever, but you're living a lot of people's dream. And that dream is open to everybody. Some people might say, hey, and my dream is to do podcasts. You, you've done four or five now, but how do you do it? Like, if you've got a dream, just jump on them. Because I think a lot of bad mental health is by getting trapped in toxic situations and relationships and just life in general. And they're so easy to step away from. People sprinkle so much stuff on top of things to trap themselves there. And you're not trapped. You can move forward from these things, can't you? Do you know what I mean? Go where you want. Like, listen, I did it the first time. What you're talking about there is what I did when I was 19 years old. 19 years old, quit college, no idea what I was going to do, and I was working at McDonald's. Going absolutely nowhere. By taking that chance and staying on my own, it's what they say, get out of your comfort zone. Never would I have thought I'd have stayed in a different country on my own. Never would I have just done what I did. But for some reason, I just inside me, just saying, my gut was saying, just do not get on that plane. And that, the, the following 10 years of my life from making that decision was, without a doubt, the best 10 years. You, you, I couldn't write a better 10 years of the traveling, the people I met, the clubs, the, just, just everything about what came next. That, you know, some of the best friends I've got in the world are who you meet in that time. And it, I, I, listen, whether I'd still be at McDonald's now, I don't know. I've, I've got no idea. But it, it's very easy when you're in your hometown to just think, well, this is it. And, and if it is, and that's what you want, and you're happy, then f fantastic. But if there is something inside you saying there must be more out there, there is. 
and go find it. That's all I'm saying. Mate, what has it been like since you've been back in in Mallorca and Magaluf and all the rest of it? Just so people just get a quick roundup before we roll this all together, you know? What have you well, been doing? What do you do now? Basically, when I first came back, obviously, it was back to the devil, you know. I'd left managing bars and clubs. I got offered to go back to the Red Lion, um, which is a big, a big reason for me. I got a brilliant offer financially to come back and run it, and which was great. Um, so I made the decision. We came back. As I came back, that job fell through because they sold the bar. So I was like, shit, hang on a minute. The, the season starts in a month, and I didn't have a job. And I'd not been in that position before. And... I didn't want to go be a barman or anything. Anyway, a job came up next door, which was my old enemy, to be fair. There was about we used to argue and, and fight against all the time. So I ended up working there. You know what, mate? I, after about a month, I just thought, this isn't for me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm past. Because I'd done the office bit in England and I'd done marketing and corporate meetings, I actually realized there's a bit more to me, right? And, and I knew I could do more. And there was no excitement in filling bars up anymore. I just felt like I'd done that. I'd, I'd taken that as far as I could. Um, so I ended up quitting, quitting the bar with absolutely nothing. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I left the bar in the middle of the season and I just sat at home and I genuinely went on and I thought I need to keep myself relevant. I don't know what job I want to do, but how do I keep myself relevant without having to go on that bloody strip every night? And I started writing a blog. And, and I, 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 honestly, I, I went to Google and I put how to write a blog. And that just led to writing a blog, building a WordPress site, how to make money online, social media management. I taught myself how to do websites and I do online marketing. And, and it, so it sort of spawned into just a new line of work, really. You know, I used all my contacts to get clients in. Um, I did my first clients with next to nothing just so I could learn it um, and, and went through the whole process. And now I do a lot of consultancy training. You know, I'm, I'm building my own platform for my, my next little venture, what I'm trying to do now. And, and that's it, mate. And here I am. Mate, where can people find you? They wanna, they love the story, and they wanna find Shane Fisher. What networks can they find you on? Um, personally, just um, Instagram. Obviously, if they go to your page, I'm sure you tag me on the Instagram anyway. So if they go to Ground Zero, Life Without Limits, you know what I mean. They'll find me on there. Um, Shane underscore Fisher or um, on Instagram. I've got a website EagleFishMedia.com. Um, but I've got a Facebook group now, what I've set up called the Tourist Attractor, which is just basically trying to help tourism-based businesses to get back into life, obviously, once all this coronavirus stuff is, is out of the way, because that's a massive thing for an island like this now. It's, it's going to be a huge blow for the economy. Um, so we need to try and get people back to the island. Look, man, I want to wrap this up a bit, right? And I just want to say a few words about Shane Fisher myself, because I think this guy deserves it. Never heard of Shane, never met Shane before, reached out to Shane from his story to do with the suicide and Shane wrote straight back to me. I don't know how long this has been going on now, this little, I like to think of it as a modern day pen pal friendship, right? <laughs> and one day I am hoping to come and meet Shane. He is a lovely guy. He's always given me great advice. He always writes back to me. He's one of the good guys out there and I think everybody should go and follow him and check him out. And if you ever want to reach out to him, I know 100% he will always get back to you. He's a lovely guy. He's got great stories. He does videos regularly. We've brought them all up before and bring them up again. There's nothing this guy doesn't cover, right? And Shane, look, man, thank you so much for letting me interview you here a couple of times. And I don't think this is the last. We'll get Shane back on. 
later on in the year and see what he's been up to and we'll just mash it up and hear if, whatever he wants to talk about, whatever we're playing on our mind, we'll just thrash it out for 40 minutes and put it down, yeah? Lovely, mate. Thank you very much and, and thanks again for the invite and appreciate your very nice words. Hey, mate, it's cool, right? I'll catch you later. Oh, man, take care. Cheers, buddy.